Come on, let's do that a little longer in the house of the Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, come on, let's praise him. Let's praise him. Hallelujah. Has anybody come to rejoice? Hallelujah. Paul said rejoice evermore. Somebody give him praise. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. It is so good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Why don't you take a moment, get out of your seats for just a couple seconds, just shake somebody's hand, say, I'm so glad to see you in church. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Let's clap our hands unto the Lord as we're returning towards our seats. And God bless you. You may be seated in the house of the Lord here today. Amen. I want to concur with Brother Diaz, and I want to say a great big thank you to the entire church, all of our volunteers. I, I want to, amen, I, I want to say thank you. There's so many people that have been helping to make this happen in the planning and then in the execution of this and then following up to make sure this place is cleaned up and ready to go. Uh, they, there's some folks that have been going at least since Thursday uh, and all the way through Sunday and then again yesterday to help tear everything down. Uh, now, I think it was such an incredible event and it would not be possible without the volunteer help of Apostolic Revival Center. Let's give, let's give ourselves a hand. Amen. And if you're really good, I got some extra gold coins up here. So left from the kids revival you know it's one of the best events we do all year it's one of those moments uh, Bishop Wilson always says that your church needs to have something for the community that is and it, it, it's a bridge it's a non-threatening bridge where they can come around your church and they can get associated there were so many there we had at last count in the building brother Rodriguez gave us a count of hundred and seventy eight people in the building and out of that 178, 75 of them were children. So I think we ought to thank God for that. So what does that tell us? In the process of reaching kids, we were also reaching adults. And, uh, and there were so many that, that they said, man, does your church meet every Sunday? I said, yes, we do. Now, I won't be wearing this crazy hat every Sunday, but, but they, they were excited to know more about our church, and I'm expecting to see more, uh, more harvest to follow from these events. And so it's also nice, I, I think it's really good for our church to see our building full. I think that's healthy. Because you might call me crazy, but I've already been there, done that, got the t-shirt. We will see it, and it'll be in moments like that that we're getting a glimpse of how it will be every single service. I'm believing there's coming a day where we're going to have to put out chairs every single service. Hallelujah. Do you believe that with me? Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Amen. Well, we're going to continue on in our Bible study here today. And, uh, and I wish I had some balloons to help me with this service. At least I have something to look at. Amen. But we're going to continue on in our, in our Bible study and in our, our, our series of Bible studies. But I did have one question. I'm getting these really deep, profound questions. What does it mean to live for God? I've got a real deep, profound answer. Live your life for God. Hallelujah. That sounds real, real profound, I know. But as much and everything that you involve yourself in, it should be for the glory and the praise of God. 
That means everything I watch should glorify God. Everything I listen to should glorify God. What I do with my time, my talents, and my treasure, what I do with my money, all of that should glorify God. And so somebody that wants to know, what does it mean to live for God? You know, there's a lot of things I could tell you that are involved in living for God. The Bible says you can't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. What we're doing tonight is part of living for God. We have come together. You can't really live for God without getting in his word. You've got to read his word in order to know exactly how to live for him. You've got to pray and not just pray a simple three-word prayer, but you've got to get into the place where the Bible says you press beyond your flesh into the spirit, praying in the Holy Ghost, building up your most holy faith. And the Bible says if we walk in the spirit, we will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Now, I could preach a whole sermon on what it means to live for God. But ultimately, every part of your life, every part of our life should be used for the glory of God. And so when somebody says, well, does God really care about X, Y, or Z? God cares about the whole, the whole man. He cares about everything you do, everything you don't do, everywhere you go and everywhere you don't go. God cares about it all. And everybody said amen. I want to recap. Last week we talked, uh, really talking about the cure, and uh, we went into the wonderful promise that was given to us through Genesis 3.15, which if you have your Bibles, we're going to be turning over the book of Genesis chapter 3, and then we're going to be going to Genesis chapter 4. I hope these Bible studies are a blessing to you and not a burden on you. Amen. I hope that somebody's getting some more information and it's helping deepen your walk with God. I want to tell you, it's these moments that give our shout power. Amen. They walked around Jericho seven days, and they only shouted once. Amen. But had they not walked seven days, their shout would have had no power. And so these moments of walking with God, learning his word, are really what are going to impact and make your life powerful. Genesis 3.15, we have a prophecy, one of the first prophecies in the entire Bible, uh, if not the first open prophecy of the Bible. Amen. It was given to the serpent, given to the devil that his destruction was coming. He said this, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. This is the introduction to spiritual warfare. This is good versus evil. Enmity simply means hatred. And that, that prophecy was stated that there would be hatred between the devil and between mankind. But ultimately, there would be a hatred between the devil and the seed of the woman, which was Jesus Christ. Amen. That there would be a war that would not stop. And I want to tell you, the devil is still fighting and raging war today against the seed of the woman. The church is under spiritual attack, not just seasonally, but day by day, moment by moment. And the church is not a building. The church is a people. So if you're fighting hell today, I want to tell you, you're in good company because you're part of the seed of the woman. You're part of the body of Jesus Christ, and the devil will not stop and will not cease. He's going to keep trying to nip at your heel, but Romans 6 and 20, 16 and 20 says, the God of peace shall crush Satan under your feet shortly. And somebody give God praise for that. So God was speaking to Satan. You're going to bruise Christ's heel which means this is a foreshadowing of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, but Christ is going to bruise your head. There's going to be a crushing of the head of the serpent, this authority of the serpent. God was warning the serpent that, that a descendant Eve, which would eventually, we know through the scriptures, would be Jesus Christ, would someday destroy Satan, would eventually eviscerate him. And on Calvary, this is what happened. Amen. Jesus received that wound. There was a poisoning. He took the bitter gall upon him. He took the crown of thorns upon him, the whips. He took the beatings. He took the piercings of the nails through the hands and through the feet. And eventually the piercing of the spear in the side where blood and water flowed out. Amen. A symbol of Old Testament prophecy that out of the side of Adam came a bride. And out of the side of Jesus would come a bride, his church. And Jesus, as he's, lying, as he's hanging there, he says, it is finished. And no doubt the devil thought, I got him. But the Bible later says, had they only known, they would have never crucified 
the Lord of glory. As long as Jesus was incarnate, as long as Jesus was robed in human flesh, he was stationary in one place. He was only able to be in one city at a time. But the moment Jesus died and gave up the ghost, now that spirit ran down the Kidron Valley. And the Bible says many that were in graves rose again. Amen. I want to tell you that the power of God was no longer relegated to one man, but it became available to all men. And so this was the prophecy being fulfilled. When he said it is finished, he was simply saying to telestai, which means to complete, to execute, to conclude, to discharge, to accomplish, to make an end of, to expire, to fill up, to finish, to go over, to pay, and to perform. Jesus is saying all that Old Testament prophecy, it's all in me. And on resurrection morning, on Sunday, we don't just celebrate around here on Easter, but we celebrate the resurrection Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We're an apostolic church. The moment you've been filled with the Holy Ghost, the Bible says that same spirit which raised Christ Jesus from the dead will quicken your mortal bodies. Uh, amen. You are not filled with a different spirit, but you are filled with the same spirit that Jesus gave up on Calvary. And you are filled with the same spirit, that Easter power spirit, amen, that's available for every human being. That death and resurrection provided salvation and power and authority for all who would receive it by faith. Because Jesus died and rose again, the curse of sin has been removed. Amen. But this is a long ways off from Genesis 3.15. We haven't quite got to the victory yet. We're still trying to follow the story. So I'm going to continue us on here today. We're going to move into the second dispensation. Everybody say conscience. The second dispensation is the dispensation of conscience. It began when Adam and Eve were driven from the garden. Again, to remind us, a dispensation is a time period in which God deals with man in a specific way regarding their sin and their salvation. There are some promises made and there are responsibilities upon man that have to be followed for salvation to occur. After man's spirit had died, God's communion with man was interrupted. Now they've been thrust from the garden, no longer seeing God face to face, for the Bible would declare no man has seen God face to face and lived to tell about it. Now that man was mortal and they were, they were susceptible to what we're all susceptible to, that thing called death, they could no longer commune with God face to face. Now they've got to see God through a veil, amen, as, as Paul would say, through a glass darkly. Not able to truly see it. Now God has chosen to speak to man through this darkened veil called the conscience. It is that inner voice. Every person has it. You don't have to teach a kid how to lie, cheat, or steal, but you also don't have to give a child a conscience. There's something in us that we have a propensity to sin, but there's something else inside us that is telling us not to. It's called a conscience. And we don't have time today to talk about, and we could maybe preach about it another time, but all of the biblical uh, consciences that are out there in the scriptures. It's quite a fascinating study. But there are people, the Bible would later say, that have, have a seared conscience. That's a cauterized conscience where they take a hot iron. Amen. If you have a wound, they used to do this. If you got struck by, uh, by an arrow, they would uh, take out the arrow or they'd break it off. And they would then take a hot iron and they would press it to your flesh. And it would sear the flesh. And it would kill all the nerve endings. And it would also seal the flesh back together. And there are people that their conscience has become seared and cauterized that, like that. When you have scar tissue, you can't feel anymore. There is a degradation of the conscience if we're not careful. The only way to keep your conscience intact is to adhere to it and to listen and to obey your conscience when it comes. If not, we will push our conscience further and further and closer and closer to the fire and the cauterizing of our conscience. And so the Bible mentions as we continue on, if you have your Bibles, Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Now remember, 
They are looking for a Genesis 3.15 Messiah. The Jews today are still looking for their Messiah, but they've missed their Messiah. His name is Jesus. But this is where it starts. They are looking for their Savior. And they were told by God that through the woman, now this birth has never happened. Birth has never happened. And now they are told that through the woman, there is going to come a man-child, and it is going to be the Messiah. I want you to set yourself in, in, in Adam and Eve's position. I don't know how many years have gone by from their, ex, their exodus and their, 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 their being kicked out of the garden, but all I do know is that they are in a position where they're ready for a Messiah. Adam's working the hard soil. There's thorns and thistles. There's pain. There's blood. There's sweat. There's tears. There's all sorts of turmoil. Amen. They're not close to God anymore. They're not in the nice, beautiful garden. They're in a wilderness. They're in a desert place. It's dry. They're thirsty. And they're working for everything. And no doubt, Adam and Eve are finally ready for there to be a Messiah. Genesis 4 and 1, and Adam knew his wife Eve, his, Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and she said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. Now, if you look at this in the original, what it's literally saying is, I have gotten a man, namely the Lord. This is an Old Testament prophecy as well, that there would be a, uh, again, Genesis 3.15, but there was an understanding that that it was going to be a child from the Lord. This is a prophecy and a promise. Even Eve understands that there's going to be, uh, she may not know it yet, but there's going to be a, a, a conception, a, a virgin birth one day, and it's not just going to be another man-child. It's going to be a man from the Lord. And so they, they, she says it, and this already indicates to us what she thought was happening. She said, finally, our Messiah has arrived, and they called his name Cain. And she bare again his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought out of the fruit of the ground an offering to the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock, of the fat thereof, and the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance, or his face, he started to have a grimace, it fell. He got upset. He got mad. The very first to be born was Cain. And soon after Cain, Abel was born. Eve may have assumed that this was, the, that this was to be the promised redeemer who had crushed Satan once and for all. From their earliest years, it was obvious that their personalities were different. They were opposites. Adam, no doubt, had taught the boys the proper method of sacrifice, their, their offerings of blood and of meat sacrifices unto the Lord. For how else would they know to sacrifice? Now, i got a question. Who was the one that taught sacrifice first? It was God. He taught it to Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve had a responsibility to teach it to their children. And uh, I don't want to preach Sunday too soon. But we have got to make sure that we've got it in our hearts so that it can make it down to the next generation. We've got to make sure that this Bible study goes beyond you and I. It goes to the next generation. It goes, maybe it's not, a, maybe it's not your own uh, natural child, but it's going to go to a spiritual child. You and I have got to know the word of the Lord. And everybody said amen. And so these two altars... Uh, as they reach adulthood, these sons knew very well how to get this acceptable mode of sacrificial worship. Yet when they brought their offerings to God, there was something wrong. Cain's offering was the fruit of the ground, while Ai Abel presented one of his flock. There's two altars that are erected that day, one piled high with fruit and grain, and the other with a freshly slain animal. Evidently, Abel's sacrifice was consumed by fire from heaven, a sign of God's acceptance. But Cain's offering remained untouched. What made the difference? Why did God accept Cain, Abel's sacrifice, but not Cain? I want you to think about it for a moment. In fact, if you really read the scriptures and you study it out, you will find 
that Cain brought an offering first. You would think getting there first would give him some bonus points with God. You'd think that somehow being early to class would have given him a gold star. But it wasn't about who offered first that mattered. There were some things. Abel's offering indicated love and obedience to God's plan. His sacrificial gifts were according to God's instructions, and God witnessed that Abel was righteous. I want you to notice that the first sacrifice was given by God. He offered an animal. And so we find two things that I can find, and maybe you'll find a third or a fourth. You can bring them to me, and I'll, I'll preach them till I, till I die. But, uh, but I find two major things that were different about Cain's offering than Abel's. Number one, the Bible says of Cain, he showed up first, and he offered the fruit of his ground. Amen. Two things I see wrong with that. Number one, he offered from the cursed soil. I want to tell you, God doesn't accept cursed sacrifices. God had cursed the soil. He had cursed the earth. And God had said, this is no longer good. And what God says is not good is not an acceptable sacrifice. I want to tell you, mediums make a difference. And it's from this platform I could preach to you everything under the sun. Mediums make the difference. There are certain mediums God will never use. He will not use a cursed medium. He will not use an unclean medium. Uh, God is very interested in the medium that his message goes through. Amen. This is why the Bible says we've got to be pure and we've got to be holy. We've got to be without spot. We've got to be without wrinkle. I want to tell you, it's very important, uh, amen, that we, we as the people of God, uh, we make sure that our vessel is clean, that our vessel is right, that our heart is right. And everybody said amen. So it brought of the cursed ground. He brought grain. God later in the Old Testament won't have a problem with a grain offering, but this was a sacrificial offering. This was something that was to go before God. No doubt this was the very first example of Old Testament sacrificial system. And you find Cain bringing the grain and bringing the fruit from the cursed soil. The second problem I see is Cain came first, but he did not give what was first. This is... All throughout the Bible, when God wants an offering, he doesn't want what's left over. Hey, hallelujah. God doesn't want what's left over. God wants what's first. God doesn't want 10%. God wants the first 10%. Hallelujah. Everybody said amen. God's, God don't want a tip. He wants a tithe, and there's a big difference. God's not looking for you to pay after the meal and give your tip after you've done taking care of everything else. God always wanted the firstlings, and that was the difference. Abel brought of the firstlings of his flock. That shows the heart condition. Amen. I want to just talk to us for a moment about this. Money is not moral. Money is amoral. It's not good or bad, but it is a moral indicator. Give me five minutes with somebody's bank account, and I'll tell you what they love. Amen. I didn't, I'm not here to talk about money, but this is a perfect example to talk about it. Because when somebody says, well, I'll just give what's left over, you're tipping God. You're not tithing to God. And God looks at that, and he sees the heart condition of the individual. And Jesus would later say, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Your treasure does not follow your heart. Your heart follows your treasure. And if you want your heart to be in it, put your money where you want your heart to be. Don't put your heart where your money is. Hallelujah. Put your offering and say, God, before anything, I'm going to give it to the Lord. Before anybody gets their cut, I'm going to make sure God gets his cut. Amen. And God's not looking for it, just, just nickeling and diming you. But what it says, it's something about the heart that before I did anything with this, God came first. And we find this with, with Abel. There was something in the heart of Abel that said, God comes first. I'm not just going to give him the leftover of my flock. And let me just talk about our lives. For those that would say, well, I'll just give God what's left of my life. 
God will take what's left of your life. But you don't have to wait until you're in the final 10% of your life to give God a tithe of your life. Uh, I, I think it's a good idea for us to say, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say yes first. I'm not going to wait until I have to say yes. I'm just going to give you all. And everybody said amen. I don't want to preach it, but I feel it. Amen. There, there's two things wrong there. One, it wasn't a blood sacrifice. God wanted a blood sacrifice. He was foreshadowing that there was going to be one to come after him that was Jesus Christ that was going to shed his blood for you and for me. It was not going to be a grain offering. Hallelujah. Amen. And so Leviticus 17.11, amen, if you, have, uh, if you have your Bibles. Leviticus 17.11. The Bible says this. You can write it down for later use. The Bible says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to thee upon the altar to make an atonement for the soul, for it is the blood that makes an atonement for the soul. Amen. You and I have got to have the blood. We cannot get atonement from the altar without blood. You can't come to, the, if Jesus had not died, this would just be a stage. If Jesus had not died, this would be nothing more than a performance. But because Jesus died, we have an altar, and because Jesus died, we have an altar with blood. And when there's an altar of blood, there is atonement for the soul. There is an opportunity for you and I to be saved. And everybody said amen. And so God wants blood, and God wants what's best and first, not what's left over. And that's an important thing for you to take in your Christian walk. Amen. No, notice how... God does not want what we think is right or what we think is best. God wants what he said is right. Now, I want to talk about this for a moment because this is important. Everybody say moral relativity. You got to be careful of moral relativity. That is when we say this is right because I think it's right. And that is wrong because I think that's wrong. And what ends up happening is we will start to deduce that this is right and this is wrong, which means we all become arbiters of truth. And now we are the ones that determine sin and righteousness. The problem with that is that we can't all be the ones to determine it. If you determine what's right, and I'm not living according to what you determine, but I'm living according to what I determine, aren't we both right? If I say that, that there is no such thing as gravity, and you say there is such a thing as gravity, who's right? If I say the earth is flat, and you say the earth is round, and I'd say the earth is round, you might say the earth is flat, uh, but who's right? Well, you'd say, well, I'm right, because I think I'm right. There is, a, there is a big challenge, and this is the spirit of Cain, which is propitiated throughout the scriptures, and it, the Bible says it's alive and well in the end times, where people, this is why you've, we've got to know, why is the Bible so important? Why is this important? Well, I've already heard the story of Cain and Abel. Why is this so important? Because if we're not careful, we'll start thinking we're living right when we're not. And as long as we feel good or we think we're good, we're all right. As long as the pastor hasn't rebuked us in a couple months, we're all right. As long as I haven't felt convicted in a little while, I must be all right. As long as my conscience, which might be seared, which might be cauterized in your life, as long as it's not piping up and speaking to me, I must be okay. Here's the problem. The Bible says that your heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Your heart will tell you you are okay. Your heart will tell you you're a good person. I dare you, go throughout the city and ask people if they're saved or not. And then when they tell you yes, inevitably, ask them why. They will say, because I'm a good person. That is the spirit of Cain. I am a good person. What did Cain say? My offering is good enough. But I've come to help us here today. Good is not good enough. You and I can never be good enough. A, a Cain offered a sacrifice from a cursed ground, which the Bible had said he would have to work and toil with his hands. And that the fruit would come because of his own efforts. I want to tell you, when you look at Cain and Abel, you are seeing the Old Testament and the New Testament. 
Amen. The Old Testament says if you work hard enough, you'll get into heaven. If you're good enough of a person, you'll make it. But the New Testament, it's not based on what you do or you do not do. It's based on the blood of the sacrifice. Amen. Hallelujah. And so when we look at Cain and Abel, Abel is saying, I worked hard. I have, I have put in the effort. I have put in the time. And, and I, I know a lot of Old Testament apostolics. Amen. We all read the Old Testament, but there's some folks, you live the Old Testament. Well, because I think I'm a good person or because I'm good enough, I don't need to pray today. I don't need to repent. I don't need to go to church. I don't need Bible study. Now, I'm not talking about here because you're all here today. Praise God. Uh, but, but there is that person that would say, well, I feel good. The problem is, is that your feelings will lie to you. Good is not good enough because you and I will never be good enough without the blood of Jesus. But I got good news for you. Even the worst, most ranked sinner in the whole world with just one drop of the blood is good enough. Cain's offering of fruit was from the earth, and even though it was his, what he thought was best or what he thought was good, it was not acceptable because God wants it his way. Cain thought, as many of us think, that's not fair. Now, if you've ever thought that, you just go ahead and you just go ahead and hold in your heart. I might be the only one in this building that thought that. I've thought to myself, God, you're not fair. Anybody else ever thought that? God, you're not fair. Well, unfortunately, he's in charge and you're not. Amen. God's the boss and not us. And God's the one that determines. In fact, we learn this all the way in Genesis chapter 1. God saw the light and he called the light good. It was God that determined what good was, not us. We cannot determine what good is. God's word is truth, and God's truth is going to declare what good is. And if God says he wants a blood sacrifice, God gets a blood sacrifice. And everybody said amen. Cain resented Abel, and he was angry with God. I want you to notice again about the sacrifice between the two. The Bible says God had respect unto Abel and to his sacrifice. Which means, again, there was something in the heart of Abel when he brought the firstlings of his flock and he brought the right sacrifice that was that God had respect to. Now, somebody might quote the scripture, God is no respecter of persons. You're right. But God respects sacrifice and God respects principle. And if you want the favor of God, you live a sacrificial life and you live a principled life. If you walk according to his words, I want to tell you, God can't help but bless his own word. If, if you will walk according to his word in, in, in obedience, you will be favored of God. It is a plug-and-play situation. I want to tell you, right now in Bible study, we are all getting more blessed right now. We are getting more blessed right now. You're getting more favor right now. Why? Because you're learning the word of the Lord. And if you and I will walk according to the word of the Lord and do what the word of the Lord has said, not just hear it, but obey it and do it, I promise you, favor's coming to your house. And everybody said amen. Amen. And so Abel's sacrifice is consumed. Cain's not. Cain thinks God's showing favoritism. But it wasn't just that he liked Abel better. I want to dispel this idea that some people have the favor of God because God likes them better. God doesn't favor individuals based on their bloodline. He favors individuals based on his bloodline. He doesn't favor individuals based on their goodness. He favors individuals based on his goodness. The mercies of God are the reason we are not consumed. Genesis chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you wroth, and why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, won't you be accepted? And if you don't do well, sin lies at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and it shall rule over you, or thou shalt rule over him. In this moment is the first time in the Bible we see the horrible word called sin used. What a picture of sin and temptation. We talked about it before. I won't go back into it. But I want you to notice what the Bible is declaring sin is. He said, Cain, if you want to do well, you can. Again, this is culminating all of the Bible studies. The scriptures are line upon line, precept upon precept. 
you still have a will and you still have a choice. He could have seen Cain's, Cain could have saw Abel's sacrifice, saw the fire fall down from heaven, and he could have said, hey, Abel, can I, can I take some of my fruit and can I buy a sacrifice from you for the Lord? And I promise you, if he would have obeyed God's word and followed God's principles, that God's fire from heaven would have fell and licked up that sacrifice as well. But instead, he did what most of us do, what religion will have us do. We just get mad at our brother because they've got the favor of God. I want to tell you, I don't want that to be the culture of ARC. I don't feel like it is, but I don't want that to be the culture of ARC. When God blesses somebody, don't look down your nose at them. I'm going to preach it till we believe it. Amen. I hear, I'm here to teach. But when God blesses somebody, don't look down your nose at them. Well, they must be doing something wrong. Or maybe they're doing something right. Maybe they're doing something right. I want to tell you what I want the culture of ARC to forever be. If you see God blessing your neighbor, that means he's in the neighborhood. Hallelujah. If God's blessing your neighbor, that means your door's next. And, it, and if you don't feel blessed... Why don't you go to your brother and ask him, what principles have you been following? Uh, what, what sacrifices have you been making to get the blessing of the Lord in your life? Because God said, if you want the favor, you can have it. If you want the blessing, you can have it. If you want me to, to rain down fire from heaven upon your sacrifice, you can have it. I want to tell everybody in this building something beautiful about God. God's no respecter of persons. God will give you the same amount of favor that he will give me. God will give you the same amount of blessing that he will give me. God will, give you, God will open the same amount of doors for you as he would for me. You know, it's, it's interesting. In our world, they want to say that they want to bash people that have. It's the haves and the have-nots. Amen. All of us at one point or another were have-nots. And God is so gracious to all of us to give us a little something to have. Amen. And, 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 and there's, but there's people in our, the spirit of our world is the spirit of Cain that wants to tear down the haves and say they must be doing something immoral to have. Well, instead of asking them, what, what sacrifices have you made to be where you are? Because I promise you this, there were principles in their life that they had to live and there were sacrifices they had to make. You know, there's people right now that they are in their, uh, they're in their, uh, they're in the, the, the throw of their, their business. They're in the middle of their, uh, and all my business owners, praise God, God bless you. There's people that are full of time in their ministry. And there are others that have not started out that if you're not careful, you'll get the spirit of Cain that says, uh, why, why are they anointed? Why are they blessed? But you don't know that a couple years ago, they were praying and fasting for their business to get off the ground. They were sacrificing with long nights and early mornings. They were sacrificing time and effort. They weren't hanging out with everybody. They were busy making their business happen. They were busy making their ministry happen. And if we're not careful, look at the spirit of Cain that says it'd be easier to eliminate the competition than to ask the competition, what did you do to get where you are? Amen. These are life principles. If you read the word of God, it'll give you some wisdom. But he said... Cain, if you want to do right, you can. But if you don't want to do right, sin is crouching at the door. And I want you to get this, this picture. Like, as, as later Peter would talk about, that Satan is like a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. He's like a, he's like a roaring lion walking about. He's like a, sin is like a crouched animal that is prone and ready to strike. It's like a snake that is ready at any moment when you put your hand in there to bite and to inject you with its venom. That is how sin is. And he said, Cain, you've not done anything wrong. Listen, the Bible says be angry and sin not. There's nothing wrong with seeing somebody, something that doesn't look fair and getting a little angry about it. Amen. I might be the only one that feel that way. But sometimes I look at other people and I see how they're blessed. And, and man, I'll be honest with you, I want to be happy for them. But I'd rather be happy for me. I see other people that are getting what they've been praying for. And I want to be happy for them. And, I, and sometimes I pray through enough to be happy for them. And other times I just want to be happy for me. And, 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 and I, I sometimes, just being honest from, from the platform, sometimes I'm angry. It's not fair. It's not right. And I get angry, but the Bible says be angry and sin not. And what God was saying, notice the mercy of God. God spoke 
to the conscience of Cain and begin to talk to him that if you open that door, sin is going to pounce on you and it is going to rule over you. I want to tell every person in this building about temptation. If you open the door to temptation, you might say, well, I have it under control. Pretty soon it's going to have you under control. You open the door to addiction and say, I've got it. I can quit anytime I want. That's a lie. And it's a trap. It's a snare from the enemy. It is pounced on you. It just hasn't dealt the final blow yet. We've got to be careful. And he warns him. He said, Cain, sin is lying at the door. You've not sinned yet. He had not done anything wrong by stacking fruit on a rock. But he neglected to do what is right. And he was he rejected doing what would be obedience. He still had an opportunity, though, because God will give you and I a space of repentance to do what is right. Because if we don't, sin is desiring of each and every one of us. Verses eight through nine, eight through ten of Genesis chapter four. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass that when they were in the field, Notice they're in the field. Why is Cain in the field? He's supposed to be tilling the ground, working in, the, working in a garden, working in the rows. But he's out there where the, where the animals are. He's out there in the wrong territory. I want to tell you, let me just say this. You have to be careful of envy. Hallelujah. There are so many biblical principles we could talk about. I don't have time for them today. We're just talking about conscience. Your conscience, if you're not careful, you'll start having a little bit of envy rise up in your heart or anger rise up in your heart. And, and all of a sudden, you'll look at somebody and you'll want what they have instead of being grateful for what you have. And, and, and he's now in the field of Abel, his brother. Why is he in his brother's field? Because there's something. He, he was angry at his brother, and he ends up in the field. The Bible says, and Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. I don't know with what, whether it was a rock. You know, this is a great point for gun control. <laughs> we should ban all rocks. We should ban all hammers and shovels and pickaxes and anything else. Uh, no doubt the Bible leaders you read about Cain's descendants, you'll find that they were workers of metal. They created tools and instruments. No doubt Cain had already possessed this knowledge and part of his his and his father's knowledge and their ability, they probably made tools. And the tools that were meant to be for the harvest, he ended up using on his brother. Amen. If God has gifted you in an area, don't use it against people. Amen. I'll just tell a, a short one because we're talking about conscience here today. I am a preacher. I am a teacher. I, 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 I like to use my voice. Praise God. So much so this cold weather has... Uh, when it rained, it, it, it killed my voice, praise God. But uh, but I, I, I know how to string words together. God has gifted me for that. Now there's other people that's building God's gifted you better than me. Uh, but but you know what? If we're not careful, we use our gifts in the wrong way. Hallelujah. I'll just talk about this for a moment. And God gifts you in certain areas. And if you if you ignore your conscience, you'll use your gift in the wrong way. I'll never forget there was a time where I was upset at somebody, and I wanted uh, to just let them have it with my tongue. And the Holy Ghost, thank God for the Holy Ghost, said, don't you use the gift I gave you against somebody else. Because I promise you, there's nobody that knows how to rip somebody else down than a preacher. We can do it with Bible and verse, praise God. And so you can't use the tools that God has helped you to make against other people. But the Bible says that Cain slew his brother Abel. And verse 9 the Lord said unto Cain, again, notice the mercy of God, where is Abel, your brother? And he said this, notice that, again, we're seeing that just, he's becoming more and more degenerate. His conscience is becoming more and more seared. Now God is speaking to him, and God says, where is Abel, your brother? Notice, I want to say this, God never asks questions to gain information. God is all-knowing. He doesn't need information. God never asks you a question to gain information. God uses questions in order to orient us and to help us to orient where we are. And he's asking Cain, where is your brother Abel? There's so many questions we could ask about this. He's dead. There's never been a death up until this point. Cain has no idea what happens to people when they die. 
Our world has no idea what happens to people when they die. Do they go to heaven? Do they go to hell? Do they cease to exist? The question is still out there, what happens when we die? But furthermore, Cain, what happened to your brother? Notice how Cain responds. And I, I, I've just come to talk about this for a little bit. He said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? The Bible says Cain was a tiller of the ground, but Abel was a keeper of the sheep. He took another dig at his brother. He's like, what am I, a shepherd? What am I, a pastor? That's a biblical word. Am I supposed to take care of people? The spirit of Cain is alive and well in our world where we kill our brother and we don't feel responsible for it. And in a church setting like this, we all have to be very open and honest because if we're not careful, we will tear our brother down with our words and then look around and look at God and say, I did nothing wrong. We will eviscerate one another and say, well, I'm good. I'm okay. I have not sinned. I've done nothing wrong. And the spirit of Cain will murder their brother, hate their brother, tear down their brother or their sister, and then look towards heaven and say, it's not my responsibility to make it right. We've got to be very careful. I know this is Bible study, but this can go deeper than we've got time here tonight. Cain refuses to admit his error. Bitterness spread through him like a poison. And as the brothers are together in the field, Cain kills Abel. And God asks to him, and he says, where is your brother? And he says, am I my brother's keeper do I need to be responsible for my brother? I want to tell you, that's a question every person in the church has to answer. We can reach and we can pull people out of the world, but I want to tell you the number one problem in the church is the word called retention. Retention. Retention, retention, retention. We can catch them, but can we keep them? I want to tell you how that happens. When everybody in the church prays, including the pastor, everybody, every one of us, we pray through of the spirit of Cain that, that says, I'm not in charge of helping other people. I'm not in charge. I want to tell you, it's not just the pastor's job. You're a keeper. I'm a keeper. You're a keeper. I'm a keeper. We're, we're all responsible to keep our brother alive. We're all responsible to make sure we keep track and keep hold on them. Amen. I want you to notice the immediate effect of sin. How else could a man speak so, just so rudely to God? Cain's defying attitude revealed the malicious condition of his heart that led to murder. God had warned him, don't open that door. I don't know who I'm talking to here tonight, but don't open the door to anger. Don't open the door to envy. Don't open the door to strife. Don't open the door to gossip. Don't open the door. Because the moment you open the door, sin will pounce on you, and you will not be able to control it. Oh, let's lift up our hands and let's pray. Come on, let's pray. All across this house, every person in this building, we've all... We've all got to be careful. Our conscience, in fact, while I'm preaching this, the Holy Ghost has been speaking through you to your, through you, through your conscience about some things that you're getting ready to open the door on. But I want to tell you, shut the door, shut the door, and put a padlock on it if you can. Somebody pray. Come on, let's pray all across this building. I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. How did God know about the crime, aside from the fact that he's all-knowing? I mean, God's all-knowing, but how does the Bible say God knew about the crime? His blood cried out and testified against him. Amen. Even, even as they have forensics today. You can, you, can, you can use blood to determine who's guilty. And blood, it's the DNA, the, the, the codes of the DNA still tell a story. And there are victims all across the world that their, their, their blood is still speaking to detectives today and crying out. And, and, and the Bible says his blood cried out from the ground. Adam and Eve are now witnessing the result of their sin as their first son becomes the first murderer and their second son becomes the first victim. And I, I guarantee, and let me just talk about condemnation for a moment. 
The Bible says there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But if there was ever a moment in the Bible where condemnation just sunk in, it was in this moment. I want you to imagine this for a moment. I want you to think about Adam and Eve and all they ate was some fruit. But God said no. And they didn't think it was a big deal. And I want to talk to everybody that thinks sin's not a big deal. If God said no, he means no. And we can't tell how big of a deal it is in the moment. But you follow sin and you follow the the pathway of sin all the way down the line. And eventually there's going to come a moment where sin takes its toll. And Adam and Eve, they're they're looking, amen, and no doubt that Cain eventually led him to where he, he probably in a shallow grave threw his brother's body. And they had to do the first burial in the entire Bible. And they're thinking, our first son, the one that we thought was from the Lord, the one that we thought was our Messiah, has just disqualified himself from being our Messiah. We're not going to have rest because Cain messed up. And our second son... Our second son, he is now dead, and he can't redeem us. Can you imagine the hopelessness they felt in that moment? And the blood of Abel cried out. I can only imagine what things Abel's blood spoke, but I've got one word I think Abel's blood cried out. I believe Abel's blood cried out for revenge. God, avenge me! Of my, of, of my bloodline that has been cut off from the earth. For all we know, Abel's bloodline could have actually been the messianic bloodline. And I want to tell you where this all came back to. See, this is, the Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Amen. I want to tell you, it's beyond you. When the devil is bringing a temptation in your life, it goes beyond you, and it goes beyond me. It goes into the spiritual, and and no doubt the devil was whispering in Cain's ears, God loves Abel more. God cares about Abel more. If you just eliminated and got rid of Abel, all of a sudden you'd be better. And And he got a two for one. He thought he finally eliminated the Messiah by just disqualifying one and killing the other. All in one stroke. And Abel's blood cried out revenge. But the book of Hebrews says something beautiful. The blood of Jesus Christ speaks better things. If the blood of Abel cried out from the ground and said revenge, What do you think the blood of Jesus cried out and said? Redemption. I want to tell you, uh, the Old Testament, amen, it speaks over your life. Every sin you've ever done, everything you've ever done wrong, it says avenge, avenge, avenge. Every sin you ever commit, every time you lied, you cheated, you stole, it says death, it says revenge, it says kill them, it says eliminate them. The Old Testament cries out and says they're done and there's no chance for them, there's no hope. But the blood of Jesus cries out and says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Let's stand across the building and lift up our hands. Come on, let's pray all across this building. Thank God for the blood of Jesus. Thank God for the blood of Jesus. Because at the end of the day, we've all made mistakes. And we've all we've all fallen into Cain's territory before. Maybe it's not physical murder, but maybe it's gossip. And, and that's just the Bible says hating your brother, which is makes us a murderer. And maybe it's not physical murder, but maybe it's lying, cheating, and stealing and harming our brothers. Amen. Even if it's not somebody in the church, we've we've all been guilty, and their blood would cry out. Amen. Avenge me. Avenge me. Avenge avenge me. But when we were baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, the blood of Jesus cried over our lives, redeemed, redeemed, redeemed. This is why David said, the redeemed of the Lord. Say so. Somebody lift up your hands all across this building and let's magnify the Lord. Come on, let's pray. Lift up your voice. Let's pray all across this house. There's some folks in this building You've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Where there should have been revenge, you got redemption. You ought to give God praise here tonight. Hallelujah. You ought to give God praise here tonight and thank him. Amen. I should be dead. I shouldn't be here today, but thank God for the blood. Thank God for the blood. Not the blood of Abel, but the blood of Jesus. Somebody lift up your hands and magnify the Lord. Come on. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
Hallelujah. If you are ever, if you've ever been guilty of doing something wrong, if you've ever been guilty of not doing what was right, there has been blood cried out that says you deserve judgment. Well, preacher, I'm a pretty good person. I wonder what would happen if we did the forensics in your life. I wonder what would happen if we just came in and did a little detective work in your life and found out all the people you hurt, all the people you lied to, the people you wronged, their blood would be crying out, get them, God. Because that's humanity. That's flesh. That's carnality. But when you repent of your sins, you're baptized in Jesus' name, and you're filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. It doesn't matter what the Bible says. He blots out. He completely erases and sponges away all of those past deeds. And no matter what negative and bad things the blood of Abel spoke over your life, because of your mistakes, because of my mistakes, the blood of Jesus cries out even louder, better things. Forgive them. Wash them. Use them anyways. Are you thankful for that tonight? Would you come down to the front? We're going to pray. If you've got some things in your life that you need to repent of, tonight's a good night. If you've already been repented, if you've already been baptized in Jesus' name, I want you to come down to the front. I just want to say, I want you to say thank you, Jesus, and give him praise because had it not been for the blood of Jesus, had it not been for the sacrifice of the Lamb of God, because at the end of the day, we've all been Cain. We didn't offer what was right, and we've done that which is wrong. But God has still forgiven us, and God is still washing us. I think we ought to thank him here today. Come on, I believe this is going to be an eternity-shaking moment for somebody. Your blood speaks a better word. Come on, all across all this building. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, all across this building, somebody lift up your voice. Somebody magnify him. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for the blood of Jesus. Listen, we're all guilty of the blood of Abel. We're all guilty of the blood of Abel. But you ought to thank God for the blood of Jesus. Testifies in grace, tells of the Father's heart to make a way for us. Not boldly we approach, not by earthly confidence. Jesus, it's your blood.
across the building, lift up your hands. Your past might be screaming. You deserve it. Your past might be screaming. You, you, you can't make it another day. But the blood of Jesus is better. It's louder and it's screaming. You're redeemed. You're washed. Where condemnation speaks, you're done. Conviction comes in and says, you can go another day in Jesus. Somebody thank you for the blood. Somebody thank you for the blood. Come on, let's lift our hands all across this building. Lift up our hands all across this building and let's worship Him. Everybody's got a past. Everybody's been Cain, but I want to tell you, in Jesus, your past can be erased. You can be a new creation in Christ, and the blood of Jesus will scream louder than all of the blood of your past, and it will scream redeemed. Oh, somebody love him in this house. Hallelujah. Somebody worship him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God for the blood. If it wasn't for the blood, we would all be lost. I'm not just talking about eternally, and although that applies. Man, I'm telling you right now, if it wasn't for the blood of Jesus, I wouldn't be here today. I'm telling you, it's, it has washed. It has, given me a, it has made me a new creation. You know, when you get done with the blood of Jesus, you know, it's, it's like, uh, you know, we all have DNA. We all have a, a genetic code. But when you get baptized in Jesus' name, the Bible says all things are washed away. Behold, all things are become new. The Bible also says if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. A new DNA, a new genetic code. I'll tell you why. Because now it's the blood of Jesus. Even when the devil comes by and he tries to pull some forensics on your past. Amen. The blood types don't match. Amen. The blood of Evan Hood. B.C. was attached to that crime. But after the blood of Jesus, hallelujah, amen, there's no DNA match here. And somebody said amen. Hallelujah. Father, we love you. We thank you today. Thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that you've given us a conscience. Thank you, God, that you've given us your word and you, you've told us how to live and where we should, what we should do with our lives. And I thank you, God, and I pray that you'd help us to walk according to what you have written down in your word. 
so that God condemnation cannot come into our heart and sin cannot come to our lives like it did in Cain. But in the moments where we mess up, we open the door when we shouldn't. I thank you for the blood of Jesus, which washes us white as snow. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Shake hands, be friendly, love one another. Let's come back ready for Father's Day Sunday. In Jesus' name, God bless you.